There are more than a thousand people missing from Laihana, Hawaii, and they are all almost certainly dead from the worst wildfire in American history. Locals on the ground say that cops blocked the exit road and that water officials withheld water from firefighters. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden showed up to compare his kitchen fire to the island's tragedy. For the first time in American history, a president has been charged with a federal crime. Lowly Fulton County District Attorney Bonnie Willis dragged Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani into her podunk county jail and mugshotted them. Their crimes? Objecting to the 2020 election. You won't believe what she's calling a mafia-style conspiracy. All that and more this week on Disaffected. about the tragic wildfire on the island of Maui, Hawaii. There are more than a thousand people missing. Um, it, it, it almost irritates me to say that because they're not missing. We all know they're not missing. They're not unaccounted for. They're dead. They're all burned up. We know that. The authorities don't like to say it, though. They don't like to say it. So a couple of weeks, uh, oh, geez, how, long, how long has it been since that happened? Joe Biden finally showed up. Um, to show empathy. Remember what we talked about last week about um, how unreasonable it is for we American citizens to expect our elected officials to perform sympathetic emotions for us and then to grade them on how well they're presidenting by how much sympathying they're doing? Well, this is, um, this is Joe Biden giving empathy. Roll it, please, Kevin. Hello, people of Maui shown such absolute incredible courage. And that's not hyperbole. I want you to know, on behalf of the United States of America, all the nation, the American people stand with you. Governor Josh Green, you've been incredible from the day we've spoken on this. You've went way ahead of the curve. Lieutenant Governor Sylvia Luke, Brian Chance, our senator, Senator Maisie, by the way, Maisie, I told my granddaughter, whose name is Maisie as well, she said, that's why I like her. Anyway. We have a president who is so far into dementia that he cannot enunciate consonants. In fact, Kevin thinks, and I, I'm, I think he's right. I think when he said, well, hello, I think he was trying to say aloha, but he had to default to, well, hello. What kind of tone is this? He starts out by congratulating local officials, telling them that they're the best thing ever. And then he jokes about how his granddaughter is named after that brain-dead Hawaiian senator, Maisie Hirano. And she is brain-dead. This woman is stupid. What is this? Is this the empathy? Is empathy back on the ticket? Here's another cut. The devastation is overwhelming. To date, 114 dead, hundreds of people unaccounted for. I remember when I got the call, my first wife and daughter, I was a young senator, and I got a call in Washington. I hadn't been sworn in yet. I wasn't old enough. And I was hiring staff in the Capitol at Teddy Kennedy's office. And I got a phone call saying from my fire department, and a young first responder kind of panicked, you got to come home. There's been an accident. So what happened? He said, your wife, she, she, she's dead. Come home. Come home. The tractor trailer had broadsided her, and... Uh, uh, and killed her in a car accident along with my little daughter. And uh, I remember all the way down from Washington home wondering what a lot of people here are wondering. 
What about my two boys? How are they? They were in the car. I never got a read on that. Were they going to be all right? They were badly injured. Were they going to make it? Had they made it? Went until I walked into the emergency room and I saw that they were there. The difference between knowing somebody's gone and worrying whether they're available to come back are two different things. Again, what kind of tone is this? This is this is the first story about him because all he can talk about is himself. This is not empathy. He's not showing empathy. He's not saying, I understand your pain because I've been through it. He's self-aggrandizing inappropriately. He's comparing inappropriate things. And, and what, what, I mean, listen, if you can understand it, listen to what he's saying. Yeah, as a, as a young senator, as a young senator, I hadn't been sworn in any. I wasn't old enough. Wasn't old enough. What? 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 I, <laughs> so that was the first story, the first inappropriate story that he told about himself to empathy at people. Here's, uh, here's another one from the same trip. I think this took place maybe earlier in the day. Um, uh, li listen to this. It's about 45 seconds. I don't want to compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday. And lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. But all kidding aside, I watched the firefighters. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. Meanwhile, there are more than 100 confirmed dead and 1,000 missing. People on the ground have been telling stories about how the police blocked cars from the only thoroughfare out of Lihana. Taking uh, the only, there's one road to get out of there. And I've seen the video of this. I've seen these cars sitting there. As you can see a firestorm in the background. It's creating local weather. The palm trees are bending over. And the cars are sitting, sitting in gridlock traffic. Um, this gentleman here, this, by the way, this does not come from mainstream media. This is from a local real estate organization called Hawaii Real Estate. That's who's giving us actual news. Roll it, please. So I went around back to Front Street and there were all the cars were lined up, but none of them were moving. And I walked all the way from Safeway to the chart house, not one car had moved. And I was wondering what was stopping the traffic. And I got to the end and I looked up, there were no obstructions, there was no reason to keep those cars. And I, I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm under orders to keep them here. And I said, the fire is, is right around Safeway. It's going to hit Front Street. You know, these people got to get out of here. And he said, I'm following orders. No way. And I, so I just kept walking. I, well, maybe he knows something I don't, you know. So, And I keep walking down the highway, and I look behind. No cars are coming out. Still no cars coming out. And I started hearing boom, boom, boom. 
under orders to block cars from leaving on the only thoroughfare out of Lihana. Uh, Sorry, I keep trying to make sure I pronounce that the right way. What motivated that? Why would they be doing that? Do you know what happened to the people who followed the instructions from the police not to move? Some of them burned to death in their cars. The people who defied the ridiculous orders lived. That's a lesson. Defy. Say no. Do not follow orders when your senses and your mind tell you, obviously, that you are going to die or you are going to get hurt. Do not obey. Just follow... I, I'm under orders. This is what happens when you put bureaucracy over agency, decision-making, and basic human morality. And part of the reason, I believe, it appears that this fire got so out of control was because of former Deputy Water Commissioner Kaleo Manuel, who has since been reassigned to another position. This gentleman, who is in charge of uh, the water in that district, Delayed release of water for five hours after the firefighters were requesting that he divert some channels to give them water to fight the fire because he wanted to get permission from the farmers who use the water first because that's how their system says and and it's all holistic. We're going to talk a little bit about Kaleo Manuel and what his philosophy is. He hewed to bureaucratic process over imminent danger to human life. This information comes from Michael Schellenberger's blog, Public, which is published on Substack. If you're not reading it, you should. And please subscribe and pay him. <sighs> Quote, former state Hawaii state water official Kaleo Manuel delayed the release of water to landowners who desperately needed it to prevent fires. The, uh, the dogmatism of environmentalists is highly simplistic. And for lack of a better term, dumb, even when it grips otherwise intelligent people. The idea is simply that renewables and recycling are always and without exception good. Dogmatists can thus ignore or wave away their massive environmental impact, including on whales, whooping cranes and California's solar threatened desert tortoises. Yes, he talks. I'm breaking in here. Uh, Michael talks about other things uh, in here. I've edited this down a little bit um, to make it shorter. Back to Michael. The dogmatism is religious. Hawaii state water official Kaleo Manuel held the dogmatic view of water as sacred and thus something that should not be used for something as profane as putting out fires. Quote, Native Hawaiians treated water as one of the earthly manifestations of God, he explained. We've become used to looking at water as like something which we use and not necessarily something that we revere as that thing that gives us life, right? I mean, to me, it's a shift in value set. Let's hear it from Manuel in his own words in a recent Zoom meeting. ...is responsible per, per our authorizing statute to protect and manage all water resources in the state. One water is like taking it and looking at it from a holistic system perspective, and that's not any different than how Hawaiians traditionally manage water. You know, in, in essence, we treated it, and Native Hawaiians treated water as one of the earthly manifestations of a god in Akua, Kane. And so that reverence um, for a resource and that reciprocity in relationship was was something that was really, really important to our worldview and, and well-being, right? And living in an island, in isolated from other 
you know, civilizations. Um, and so I think where it shifted to today or over time is that we've become used to looking at water as like something which we use and not necessarily something w that we revere as that thing that gives us life, right? I mean, to me, it's a shift in value set. Um, and, you know, if we can start to really look at how we as humans in an island um, can reconnect to that traditional value set. So really my motto is always like, let water connect us and not divide us. Like we, we can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. The linguistic uniform. Some of it's the native Hawaiian accent, but some of it is the linguistic uniform. We live on an island, right? Right? It's about equity. This guy is a narcissist. He's disgusting. Go look him up online. All of his uh, publicity photos are him like this. Uh, people, this precious... I've noticed this about Hawaiian culture. I will disclose this. I do not get along with Hawaiian culture. I spent two weeks there about 20 years ago and it drove me nuts. It's the most beautiful place on earth I've ever seen. It looks exactly like the postcards and I cannot stand the culture and I will never set foot there again. There is a long, there's a deep culture there of people being precious and twee about their local native traditions and their gods and goddesses. and. Uh, yeah, I know. I am making fun. I am making fun because they use it for narcissistic reasons. It's no different than a fundamentalist Christian who fleeces the flock by talking about how every donation to his ministry is 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 revering God. I mean, it's disgusting. And they get away with it with the Democrats because they're people of color on an island. It's ugh, it's a Democratic shit show. Let's talk about Donald Trump. And his arrest. Everybody knows that he was brought down, along with Rudy Giuliani this week, to the Fulton County, Georgia courthouse. Or the jail. I think it was actually the jail. To get mugshotted. First president in American history to be charged with a federal crime. First one in American history to have a mugshot taken. Like, they needed that mugshot. Well, you know what? I'm glad they took it. And I'm glad he's giving that psychopathic, angry stare because it is exactly the look he should be giving. That is an angry man, and he has every right to be angry. I am furious about this. Kevin is furious about this. You should have heard us last night. I'm, I'm moderating my temper right now, but I am incandescent over this. Not because I love Donald Trump, because this is wrong. Fulton County, Georgia, District Attorney Fani Willis. I'm Fani is how it's pronounced. I, I was just looking this up while I was writing the script, and leftist media are saying MAGA Republicans are deliberately mispronouncing it as Fanny to degrade a black woman. No. I wasn't, but I'm, I'm going to do it now. I thought her name was Fanny. <laughs> We're all supposed to know. We're all supposed to know that these made up weird spelling names are pronounced in a certain way. And if we don't, it's because we're degrading them because we're racist. Look at her. Look at her. That's Joan Crawford. That's Faye Dunaway playing Joan Crawford. That is the narcissistic power pose. That is who that woman is. 
She is a partisan Democrat who herself has questioned the legitimacy of presidential elections. She's trying to imprison Trump and all 18 of his lawyers for doing the same thing. She's charging them under the racketeering statutes, the RICO statutes, for questioning the vote count in Georgia in the 2020 presidential election. Every activity these people performed, from making phone calls to even providing President Trump with a phone number that he requested, she is characterizing it in the indictment as an act in furtherance of the conspiracy. I read the whole thing this morning. She's calling Trump and his lawyers a criminal enterprise and a criminal organization. She's using the RICO racketeering language. Do you know where those statutes came from? They came from the necessity to prosecute the actual mafia, organized crime that didn't actually have a corporate structure legally under the law. They had to, to write laws to get them. That's what they're pulling out and putting on the president and his lawyers. These laws were set up to prosecute the mafia. And she and the Democrats are all painting Trump as part of a mafia-like organization, an organized crime ring, because they objected to election counting and they didn't believe the result. Well, Hillary Clinton isn't being prosecuted, but take a look at this headline from CNN from 2017. Hillary Clinton just floated the possibility of contesting the 2016 election. Democrats objected a lot in 2016 when Trump won. This is according to an NBC News article that was published January 6, 2017. So six years ago. Democrats objected 11 times, citing a variety of issues, including Russian interference, massive voter suppression, and, quote, the violation of the Voting Rights Act. But a handful of Democratic House members continued to object during specific states um, during a meeting and tried to continue their speeches even after then-Vice President Joe Biden gaveled them down and said debate is not allowed. After the states were counted, three citizens of the audience gallery stood up to demonstrate. At one point, Representative Maxine Waters, Democrat of California, stood up and asked for a senator to join them. Only four Democratic senators attended the ceremony. Um, another here's another line from the article. House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi said she was not encouraging objections, but that she would, quote, support them. Why is she not being prosecuted? <laughs> this is what Nancy Pelosi said in 2017, quote, I think people don't want the day to pass without registering concerns. In some cases, members are concerned about voter suppression. In some cases, they are concerned about Russian influence on our election. There are a number of concerns but it's not going to have any impact at the end of the day. Well, why, why, why shouldn't they be prosecuted? Here, here's from Politico, also published January 6, 2017. Quote, the short-lived, doomed-from-the-start effort spearheaded by Representatives Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas and Barbara Lee of California came during a joint meeting of the House and Senate to certify Trump's Electoral College victory. But it's a continuation of efforts by Democrats to poke Trump in the eye before he takes office and undermine what his team has described as a mandate to govern. Democrats have routinely cited Trump's 2.9 million ballot popular vote loss to Hillary Clinton and pounced on Russian meddling in the election to undermine Trump's victory. So back here in 2017, Politico was still claiming that Russian interference affected the election. Why aren't they being prosecuted. Why isn't Hillary Clinton, who had a private server with 33,000 emails on it and classified documents that she wasn't allowed to have on a private server, that she then wiped, being prosecuted. God. I, it's no reasonable person can look at this and say this is just the rule of law. I don't want to hear anymore. If you do the crime, you got to do the... Shut up. Stop it. Stop lying.
The hypocrisy is the point. I see what you're doing. From the from the Fonnie Willis indictment, this is I, I, it is so long. There's no I couldn't do this in two shows. Uh, you it is publicly available. You can and I believe that you should read the entire indictment. Um, I just picked out a few things to put in front of you. Um, it's, it, you know what's amazing about this? He's being indicted by a goddamn district attorney in a county. In a county. Do you know how many thousands of cat? <laughs> so, so are we are we now? Is it now new normal that any president, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian? can simply be prosecuted, indicted by any podunk district attorney locally elected anywhere in the country who doesn't like them. Is that what we're doing now? Because if that's what we're doing, I'm here. Game, set, match. Let's get all the Democrats into the counties as well. Let's get all the county DAs in the red states to start filing indictments. God damn it. This indictment lists 161 individual acts by these 18 lawyers and Donald Trump. And it comes up with 41 counts of conspiracy. They're calling these 161 acts part of the conspiracy of the criminal enterprise. Let me give you a quote. Defendants and others known and unknown to the grand jury constituted a criminal organization whose members and associates engaged in various related criminal activities, including but not limited to false statements and writings, impersonating a public officer, forgery, filing false documents, influencing witnesses, computer theft, computer trespass, computer invasion of privacy, conspiracy to defraud the state, acts involving theft and perjury. Continuing. Members of the enterprise, including several of the defendants, corruptly solicited the vice president of the United States to violate the U.S. Constitution and federal law by unlawfully rejecting electoral college votes cast in Fulton County, Georgia, by the duly elected and qualified presidential electors from Georgia. I'm going to stop there. That refers to Vice President Joe Biden at the time. Why was this criminal? Why was this objection by Trump and his attempts to prove that the election was fraudulent? Why is that criminal? Why wasn't it criminal when Democrats did it in 2016? I'm No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it should be criminal. It's obviously not criminal. We cannot live in a society where it is illegal to challenge an election, even if I don't like the side that's challenging it. This used to be normal. It used to be normal to understand that just because you disagree with your opponents, that your opponents don't lose their rights. My God, how far we've fallen. Selected counts from the indictment. Act one. Uh, you know, these are the acts. These are the criminal acts. I'm just going to give you a sample. On or about the fourth day of November 2020, Donald John Trump made a nationally televised speech falsely declaring victory in the 2020 presidential election. Approximately four days earlier, on or about October 31st, 2020, Donald John Trump discussed a draft speech with unindicted co-conspirator individual one whose identity is known to the grand jury that falsely declared victory and falsely claimed voter fraud. That speech was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. How does Willis know that his speech was false? How does she know that his claims were false? She doesn't. That's the point. Donald Trump was alleging that the election was rigged that votes weren't counted that should have been, that ballots were stuffed that shouldn't have been stuffed. He may be right, he may be wrong, but she is criminalizing 
every single action that was taken to find out the answers to these questions. This is this is beyond Kafka. How are we supposed to believe that any of the charges in this indictment are reasonable when we have a district attorney who says that merely stating his objection in a speech was a criminal act by Donald Trump and part of a conspiracy by a criminal enterprise? Or this this description of an act by Rudy Giuliani, quote, on or about the 15th day of November 2020, Rudolph William Lewis Giuliani placed a telephone call to unindicted co-conspirator individual two whose identity is known to the grand jury and left approximately an 83 second long voicemail message for unindicted co-conspirator individual two making statements concerning fraud in the November 3rd, 2020 election in Fulton County, Georgia. This telephone call was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. So picking up the goddamn phone now is a criminal act. <laughs> the indictment goes on and on and on like this for dozens of pages. Um, what else do I have? Multiple phone calls, multiple contacts from members of the criminal enterprise. Every single act is characterized as an act in furtherance of the conspiracy. Uh, where's the really good one I wanted to show you? Yeah, this one. Quote, on or about the 21st day of November 2020, Mark Randall Meadows sent a text message to United States Representative Scott Perry from Pennsylvania and stated, quote, can you send me the number for the speaker and the leader of the Pennsylvania legislature? POTUS wants to chat with them, end quote. This was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. Okay, Kevin, can you put her on the screen again? Fanny. Yeah. Look at her. Look who rules you. Hmm. Unbelievable. Oh, oh, we're, we're coming up on a break here. I know we, we've gone long. I've got one more for you. This is Act 57 of the 100 and what is it 161 different acts that were all conspiracy furtherance of conspiracy quote on or about the 11th day of december 2020 david james schaefer resumed reserved room 216 at the georgia state capitol in fulton county georgia for the december 14th 2020 meeting of trump presidential elector nominees in fulton county georgia this was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. Reserving a fucking room at the Capitol is, is an act in furtherance of the conspiracy. We need to go to break right now because I'm going to get more profane. See you on the other side. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. 
Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. The education minister in the Canadian province of Saskatchewan has set a province-wide policy on pronouns and gender identities for children in school. If a student wants to be called by a different pronoun or a different gender, parents have to be notified and they have to have the chance to say yes or no. Policy does some other things too. It allows parents to remove kids from the sex and gender education courses so they can opt out. It immediately stops all school boards in the province right now from working with so-called educational nonprofits that are pushing perversion into schools under the guise of health and sex education. Um, Here's their announcement. You'll see it on your screen. You won't be able to read it, but I'll read it out to you. Education Minister Dustin Duncan today announced new parental inclusion and consent policies for Saskatchewan schools as of today. One. Schools must seek parental parental or guardian permission when changing the preferred name and pronouns used by students under the age of 16 in the school. Two, parents or guardians must be informed about the sexual health education curriculum and have the option to decline their children's participation. Three, boards of education must immediately pause involvement with any third-party organization, such as the ARC Foundation and the SOGI 123 program, connected to sexual health education as the ministry undertakes a review of educational resources to assure ensure alignment with curriculum outcomes. Only teachers, not outside third parties, will be able to present sexual education materials in the classroom. This directive does not include professionals employed by government ministries or the health authority. End quote. So this prohibition on outside organizations <clears throat> Uh, that are pushing perversion. I love this. It includes Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood has been given the heave-ho from Saskatchewan schools. I am so glad to see this. As a former ignorant, unaware Planned Parenthood supporter, I consider that organization actively evil and actively abusive to children. Um, Would you like to see the kinds of educational things that Planned Parenthood has brought into Saskatchewan schools? Here's a set of alphabet cards that illustrate various sexual activities. You'll see one on your screen here. This is for the letter H, and it's got a little cartoon guy with two tongues in his mouth going out each side, licking a popsicle on each side. (laughs) Right, kids? Well, here's the other side of the letter H card. H stands for half and a half. When someone sucks your dick and then your ass. It's nice to split the attention 50-50. That way your butt won't get some sort of inferiority complex. If you like eating butt, you might like to consider getting a hepatitis A and B vaccination from your local clinic. Yes, that's real. I'm giving you a second there to, to keep your lunch down and to accept the fact that that's real. Yes. Want to see more? Let's move to the letter Y. 
Y stands for yellow and brown showers. Yes, pissing and crapping on your partner. I'm going to break in here for a second. This is the most filthy, obscene, perverted sexual education I have ever seen, and I've seen a lot. It is utterly filthy and depraved, and yet they can't bring themselves to say the word shit. Crapping on your partner. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? I'll read it again. Yellow and brown showers. Yes, pissing and crapping on your partner. If you're going to experiment with bodily fluids, best you keep them on the outside of your body to reduce risks of parasites or viruses. Oh, but why would that matter, Planned Parenthood, if they can get a hepatitis A and B vaccination from their local Planned Parenthood clinic? (laughs) You fucking demons. Naturally, the liberal and caring educator mommies in Saskatchewan are freaking out over the policy. Here's the president of the Saskatchewan Teachers Union responding. Hello, my name is Samantha Beacott, and I am the president of the Saskatchewan Teachers Federation. On behalf of the 13,000 teachers across Saskatchewan, I am here to express our deep frustration and disappointment regarding the Minister of Education's recent announcement of new parental inclusion and consent policies. Every day, teachers work tirelessly to create inclusive learning environments where all students feel welcomed and safe. However, this policy not only handcuffs teachers' ability to build trust, it also dangerously threatens the safety and well-being of Saskatchewan students. This knee-jerk reaction to an isolated incident is a significant overstep by the government. It not only politicizes our classrooms, but it also takes us down a dangerous path without any consultation with teachers or the public at large. I strongly encourage all teachers, parents, and students to reach out to your MLA and express your disappointment with these outdated policy changes. It is essential that we stand together to protect the rights and safety of our students. Yeah, you can see how angry and frustrated she is. Good. I'm glad you're angry and frustrated, Miss Beacott. I hope you get even more frustrated, and you're going to be. Notice the cluster B narcissistic reversal. Every day, teachers work tirelessly to make, excuse me, to make students safe. That's a reversal. It's not making students safe to expose them to things like fisting and shit play. She says that the policy that stops this from happening is the policy endangering the students. It's clear reversal, black for white. And she lies and claims that this is a knee-jerk reaction to an isolated incident, the incident of the uh, alphabet cards, which they are lying, they're lying, and claiming were never meant to be given out to students, but somehow they were in the bag of the educator from Planned Parenthood. They're just lying. You know what? Shut up, lady. Shut up. You are not the boss anymore. You never should have been the boss, and you're not going to be the girl boss on this anymore. No one has to consult you. You're being put back in your place, and your place is to be silent and powerless. Now we're going to be joined by podcaster and conservative commentator Russell, the Canadian conservative. He's going to tell us more about how this effort came to happen and where it might go in the future. Welcome, Russell. Hey, Josh. Pleasure to be here. Thank you again. You've been on before and we'll have you again. So um, where did this initiative start? Do you know um, do you know anything about the history of what the education ministry has been observing and why they've come out with this policy right now? Well, I think there's been a couple of key incidents that happened. 
Um, one was the one that you described earlier at Lumsden High School, where, where Planned Parenthood did a presentation. Now, Planned Parenthood's version of the events is different than the version that the parents gave. I was on a space uh, where some of the parents discussed what had happened, and the parents say that the cards were taken out and placed on the tables, and an emphasis was made by the facilitator to get students to look at the cards. Now, Planned Parenthood says that the cards were never put out. A student actually went into an area like a box or a bag or something they weren't supposed to and took the cards out and took them home. I don't believe that. And I, I don't believe that either. And so that was kind of one of the precipitating incidents. Um, I can really thank uh, Nadine Ness. She really blew the lid off of that one. And it really emphasized for the province that this is the type of material. Now, Saskatchewan is a more Christian-based province. And so naturally, I think parents took a very um, oppositional view to that material. And I don't blame them. I mean, the, the cards, like one of the cards was about, uh, what was it, uh, fletching. Why does a 14-year-old need to learn about something like that? You know, there's another card that described uh, fisting, for example. So these are like very, very extreme kinks. Yes. They're not even regular, like, I, I wouldn't say regular people regularly engage in this. These are, these are, <laughs> you know, the extreme ends of the, um, I, I guess, sexual spectrum of what people do in the bedroom. And the reaction I've seen from the liberal parents is, well, they're going to learn about it anyway. So it's better that they learn about it now in a, in a safe environment but I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that we need to tell 14-year-olds about fisting and, and things like that. And again, this just speaks to the fact that the teachers have given up their power to these third-party organizations. It should be teachers teaching this. And when I was in school, it was teachers that taught this. They had a book. They had the movies. They we learned all about STIs. We learned all about you know safe sex and stuff like that. Now we they didn't certainly learn about weren't teaching thing. us. They certainly weren't teaching about uh, quote eating butt or yellow and brown showers or putting a fist no. up the anus or vagina. That was not what our health teachers were teaching us. No, and and because it was the teachers directing the the instruction, it was all publicly available as public knowledge. But when you have a third party come in, their material may not necessarily reflect the material that the ministry wants taught. I would imagine. I... Now, go ahead. Oh, so and there was a second incident, too. And this one has not been as widely publicized, but um, there was a kind of like a, a children's fair that was being done in, in one of the local parks. I think it was in like Saskatoon or something like that. And the principal had actually put out a memo saying that the teachers were not to bring the students to the, um, to the, uh, what were, what were they calling it? Like the gender tent or something like that. And it was basically, it was the stand at this children's festival where all the drag Queens were and stuff like that. And so the, the principal said, to the teachers, you're not to bring the students there. And that created a bit of an outcry. But what was interesting is that, is that there was a lot of people that were in agreement with that principle. And I, so I think that really empowered the provincial government 
to take a look and say, okay, what do we want here and what's not working? Um, and we're not the first province. Uh, New Brunswick really started this. Oh, Their okay. premier came out against gender ideology. And so Saskatchewan is really following suit. I, I will say um, Higgs from New Brunswick, he really took the brunt of it last year when he came out against it. Some of his own cabinet members turned against him and that, and he just, he stayed the course um, through all the defamation, through all the slander, through all the libel, through all the accusations. Um, he's just stayed the course. So I think it's really empowered our provincial government to take action. It's a wonderful, I mean, I was so, you brought this to my attention because I didn't see this news story. I'm very, very happy to see this. Uh, and I'm even happier to learn right now as you're speaking to me that this is this is the second province. I, I now remember seeing reference to the New Brunswick, but uh, thank you for reminding us. And what's important about this is that this is not a school district policy. This is a, a province-wide policy. You know, no schools in Saskatchewan are going to be able to do this now who are subject to the education ministry's jurisdiction. Um, I, I, you know, I, I will say, um, you know, I'd like to see this go farther and I'm, I'm guessing there are other people who'd like to see it go farther too. Um, I, I'm very glad, very glad this is a great first step. Um, but I say that with the provision that it had, in my view, it had better be just a first step and not the last step. I don't think it's acceptable uh, for it to remain. Uh, well, parents have to give permission to have their children called by another pronoun only if they're 16 or younger. I don't think this should be allowed at all uh, for minors. I hope that will be under consideration by the government. Um, you know, and I wonder, will we see a blanket ban on schools um, you know, adopting this so-called gender identity of students, whether or not the parents want to give permission, because, of course, my view, uh, which is shared by a lot of people, is that uh, parents should not. There are some things that parents should not be allowed to give permission for, um, you know, if we want to go to the extreme end. Right. Um, people say uh, parental rights, parental rights. Well, no, parental rights don't extend to having the right to say I will have my child's breast sliced off, that there is a limit. Um, so, uh, you know, and I know this isn't as extreme as that, but, um, I wonder, what do you think, do you think we'll see an extension of this policy to cover more than just 16 and under? And do you think, um, do you think that we're going to see, uh, this turned into a sort of a permanent, um, ban on organizations like SOGI and, uh, Planned Parenthood? I know you can't read tea leaves. What do you think? Well, just kind of seeing where the trends are going here, I'm not sure what the provincial government will do. Uh, what I do know is that since Scott Moe came out with this policy with his government, um, he's doubled down on it a couple of times. He said that he supports the education minister. Uh, and in that. For, our, for our listeners, is that the premier of your province? Yes, he's that's okay. the premier. And for for our U.S. Uh, guests, um, that will be the equivalent to like your governor. Thank you. And and so yeah, so I, I do think that overall, this policy is going to stay for a while. I would like to see it extended to eighteen, um, but at this point in time, you know, I'll take a, any small win yes. we can get. Uh, what's really interesting is that. This is going to be something. So the Conservative Party of Canada, the equivalent to uh, the U.S. Republican Party, they are going into their meetings um, over the next few weeks. So they're going to go into their policy development meetings 
and there's and kind of empowered by these provinces, the there has been talk that gender ideology and these sort of um, social conservative stances are going to be discussed and more policies going to be developed around them. Now, again, I can't read tea leaves and that I can't see in the future. If I could, I'd be a millionaire. Um, but, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think it's a good first step. Our, our conservative party traditionally, they've really stayed away from social conservative issues and they've stuck to fiscal conservatism. Uh, but with the new party leader that's in charge now, I think he's really started to hit his groove. I've had a lot of criticisms of him previously, uh, but now he's really he's starting to come out a lot more with these more uh, better policy stances, I think. And even I think it was two days ago, he had actually said that we need to restore parents' rights. And I hear that and I'm like, okay, that's the type of stuff I like to hear. Now, he hasn't come out directly and said what that means. Right. Uh, but when we start talking about parents' rights and that, I think that's a good sign that we're headed in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, and uh, the last thing I want to ask you about before we let you go um, on, a, on a Sunday morning, thank you for giving us the time when you could be doing brunch. Um, do you predict that the education minister in your province um, and the conservatives, will they be able to stand up to and successfully weather the hysterical pushback that's going to come from the liberals and from these organizations? Do you think that they will stand firm or do you do you think that they're going to do what a lot of um, a lot of politicos have done and, and uh, you know, say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend? Well, it's hard to say. So far, they've stayed the course. Um, the first kind of barbs and arrows went their way and um, they've kind of just said this is the policy and we're sticking with it. I think it's important for people in Saskatchewan and even people from other provinces to phone the minister's office and tell them, listen, I agree with the policy. I think you're doing a great job. Good. You can even say, I don't think it goes far enough. And and really just reinforce that this is the type of thing that we expect from conservatives now as well, not just not just in public, which would be nice, but from the conservative-based parties, these are the types of stances we're expecting that you're going to be taking in the future. Now, to add on to this, um, we don't really have any lobbyist groups in Canada right now that really lobby against, I guess, uh, gender ideology and that sort of stuff. I mean, we have Billboard Chris and that he's like a one-man army all on his own. Right. Um, but but there is there is plans. I can say that I am working with some people and we're looking at starting a group that's going to be similar to uh, gays against groomers from the United States. And but this this will not be us going to protests and and standing on the other side and and, and doing the protest circuit, I like to call it. We're not going to do that. It's going to be talking to uh, conservatives and getting kind of people's concerns together and it's going to be pushing it to the upper echelons. So act, looking at policy changes at the high levels. And I mean, the left has this, the, the leftists, they have all these nonprofit organizations and corporations and their job is to lobby ministers and lobby the government to basically open the floodgates to all this ideology. Well, this this group that we're looking at putting together, I don't have a name yet. It's in the very preliminary stages, but we are putting things together and it will be coming soon. 
um, we'll be going to these ministers and saying, listen, this is the concerns that we have. And when you hear this, this is what it actually means. And these are the concerns from parents. These are the concerns from gays, lesbians, bisexuals that feel like, you know, they've been added into this group that they don't agree with. It's it's going to be, I think, really good. And I think it's going to empower conservatives with good talking points that they can use, um, not only at their conventions and policy development, but points they can use when they discuss things with the public. Excellent. Great work. Really glad to hear it. Really glad to know about it. And thank you for sort of stepping in and and, uh, you know, giving us a view from Canada. Russell, tell everybody about your show and your Substack. Where can they find you? Because anybody who's interested in what's going on um, in Canada having to do with this should be following you. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at the Canadian Con. Uh, won't let me put any more than that. So that's uh, my Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, the, the Canadian Conservative, it's a podcast. It's on all the platforms. Um, I recently did one with um, some uh, some gay allies from Calgary that um, that I asked the question, when does gender ideology go too far? And their answer was basically when is brought up at all. Um, <laughs> and we had a really, really good discussion um, about that. And I would encourage people that came out uh, earlier this month. I would encourage people to listen to that. You're going to hear from people that have been heavily involved in the gay community for years, organizing pride parades and and things like that, and basically how they feel that this um, this gender ideology and and that has taken over our society. It's taken over um, gay activist groups and and just really force teamed people into stances they don't necessarily agree with under the threat, of course, of cancellation from your job and and social ostracization and. With all, in my opinion, with all with the intent that you off yourself, so you're one less ideologue to face off against the the encroaching uh, machine. Um, and then, other than that, um, if you go to the CanadianConservative.com, that's where my Substack is. I've talked less and less about gender ideology. I kind of, to be honest, I kind of got tired of talking about. It. I've made all the points generally I want to make on it, and really, I've really started to focus a lot more on crime and what it means to have a social habitus and and what is the social contract and and things like that and and why it seems to all be falling apart in Canada. Excellent. Um, well, I'm a reader and uh, I bet you're going to have a bunch more from this too. Russell, the Canadian Conservative, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Josh. Always a pleasure. Okay. Come back, folks, and we'll finish up the show after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, 
or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. We haven't done enough trans lately, so I'm going to take you back to a disaffected mainstay. There's something we actually missed from March of 2023, uh, Vermont Local News. This is from who's yeah, this is from uh, Vermont Digger, VT Digger, the online nonprofit progressive paper headline Vermont religious school that refused to play team with trans player banned from sporting events. Quote from the article, a private Christian school that forfeited a girls basketball basketball game rather than play against a team with a transgender player has been banned from Vermont school sporting events. The Vermont Principals Association, which oversees school athletics, said Monday afternoon that Mid-Vermont Christian School in Queechee will no longer be eligible to participate in sports and other sponsored activities. The decision was announced after a meeting of the Vermont Principals Association's executive committee, during which members decided, quote, that policies have been violated at the school level, and thus there is an immediate determination of ineligibility for Mid-Vermont Christian in Vermont Principals Association sanctioned activities and tournaments going forward, end quote. Why? Because the Mid-Vermont Christian School violated the safe and inclusive anti-discrimination policy about gender identity. Because being safe and wholesome and fair with school children means that you have to set strong teenage boys against girls on the same team or on opposing teams. Uh, you need to take advantage of physically weaker girls by allowing boys who call themselves girls to play. And you have to let them hurt the girls. You have to let them hurt the girls and say nothing about it because it's just a girl hurting another girl. And you have to let them disrobe in the locker room. That's how you are safe fair, and wholesome to adolescent girls. You have to let them win girls' trophies. You have to ignore the actual harm to the girls. And you have to say that the boys are really, really real girls. Here's a quote from Jay Nichols, executive director of the Vermont Principals Association. Quote, if you don't want to follow VPA rules, that's fine. But then you're just, but then you're just not a VPA member. It's fairly simple. That's really all we're going to say about it, end quote. Yeah, is that all, Jay? Back to Vermont Digger. Nichols said he could not remember any prior instances of a school being barred from sporting events. There is no existing appeals process, he said. But Mid-Vermont could come before the group's leadership and seek to be readmitted, he said. Oh, can they? Can they come cap in hand and beg, sir? I hope they... <laughs> I hope they tell you what I would tell you, which is get fucked. Trans sanctuary states. We've talked about them many times before. Vermont is one of them. There are many more that are coming online as Republican controlled states start to actually ban the surgical mutilation and abuse of children that we call gender affirming care. Um, the blue states, the Democrat states are going in the opposite direction. Um, and these states have gone full moral monster, Vermont among them. These states guarantee children the right to be chemically and surgically mutilated under state law. They created that as a state law right. 
They shield abusive parents from out-of-state court orders and arrest warrants in violation of the U.S. Constitution. They allow parents to mangle and sterilize their children while claiming that the other parent in a custody dispute who is trying to save the child is the real abuser. The one who wants to save the child from the medical sterilization is the abuser under these laws. Vermont actually calls that attempt, the attempt of a parent to save the child, abusive litigation. That's their formal term of art that they've written into state law. They, uh, these laws also shield surgeons from malpractice liability for vivisecting children in the name of gender. This is satanic. There's no secular language that is powerful enough to capture the depth of evil that's going on here. This is the devil himself, and these people are possessed. Whether you believe in a literal devil or not makes no difference. It's that evil. True to form, the media, of course, um, does another narcissistic reversal. Check out this headline from the Vermont paper, The Brattleboro Reformer. States that protect transgender health care, including Vermont, try to absorb demand. That should make any sane person sick inside his soul. From the article, states that declared themselves refuges for transgender people have essentially issued an invitation. Get your gender-affirming health care here without fearing prosecution at home. Now that bans on such care for minors are taking effect around the country, patients and their families are testing clinics' capacity. Already long waiting lists are growing, and yet there are only so many providers of gender-affirming care and only so many patients they can see in a day. For those refuge, state, refuge states, so far, in addition to Vermont, California, Connecticut, Colorado, Illinois, Massachusetts, Maryland, Minnesota, New York, excuse me, not New York, New Jersey, New Mexico, Washington, and Washington, D.C. The question is how to move beyond promises of legal protection and build a network to serve more patients. And Dr. Angela Cade Gepford is one of the demons wearing a mommy mask. This is what she has to say. Quote, we're trying our best to make sure that we can get those kids in so they don't experience an interruption in their care, said Dr. Angela Cade Gutford, medical director of the Gender Health Program at Children's Minnesota Hospital in Twin Cities. For patients who have not been seen and would be added to a general waiting list, it is daunting to think that it's going to be a year or more before you're going to be seen by somebody, end quote. An interruption in their care, their care, their gender-affirming loving care, an interruption in the most depraved psychological and surgical abuse that has ever taken place in American history. You are living, you and I, we're living in that era. This is the most depraved abuse of children that has ever been culturally sanctioned. By far, nothing compares. If history books actually survive in the future, this is this is going to far outstrip the lobotomy era for the amount of disgust and moral condemnation from our grandchildren and their children. Won't even be a contest. This is the, oh, there aren't words. These refuge states are complaining about huge waiting lists. They can't wait to serve all these poor children. Well, good. The longer they're out of your clutches, the better chance they have at save we have at saving them and putting you in prison where you belong. Don't think they're going to stop at these laws either. These, these promises, they're not going to. Here's what they're planning. 
Back to the Brattleboro Reformer, quote, initial sanctuary laws or executive orders were an emergency step to protect transgender people and their families from the threat of prosecution by more than 20 states that have restricted or banned such health care. You editorializing assholes. <sighs> they generally do not contain provisions to shore up health systems, but advocates say that needs to be the next step. Watch for it. Watch for it. All right. Last part of the show here. Um, this is taken from Substack, and I want to encourage you to join to support this show through Substack. It's, it's, it's your best front door in. Um, you do have two options. If you want to support this show with a paying subscription, go to disaffectedpod.substack.com. You can also go to subscribestar.com slash disaffected if you wish to do so. Um, and this is the kind of thing you get. Um, this article... You know what? Actually, let me do it this way. The first thing I want to do, I want to take you down memory lane to set this up. You're going to recognize this. Most of you will. Some of you won't. Kevin, please roll the clip. We've done all we could do. If we've been successful, well and good, there are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result, Please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. All right, Miss Tyler. Here comes the last of it. I wish you every good luck. change at all. from the classic Twilight episode, episode, Beauty is in the Eye of the Beholder. The setup is that a beautiful woman who looks normal, a non-disfigured woman and non-disfigured people are sent to a hospital to get surgery to correct their birth defect, and their birth defect was looking normal. It's revealed in this clip that the normal people in the world are the ones with the pig faces, the doctors and nurses. And this is going to this treatment is going to be forced on the normal people. It's, it's classic reversal. It's it's absolutely perfect. And it's amazing how prophetic the show The Twilight Zone turned out to be. I had it on my mind this week when I wrote the following essay that I'm going to read to you. No other piece I've written on Substack so far has been more widely read or commented on. It's called Goblins. They're everywhere. They serve you coffee and lunch at the diner. They're blocking the aisles at the grocery store. They're receptionists at every business you enter. They're nurses at the local hospital. They're your primary school teachers. They're your librarians. 
and they're female. A few months ago, I noticed a big spike in orcs. The lumbering, tall males tottering around in heels and prostitute clothes with their hair and pigtails and their feet straining the seams of their fishnet stockings. But the female goblins are overtaking them. Most of them are enormously fat, not overweight, fat enough that you can hear them struggling to breathe. As they order the two-person meal at the local restaurant while overfeeding their children to turn them into goblins too. This morning, one of them took up the whole aisle at the corner store when I was getting coffee. She was piling combos, sh Starbucks sugar drinks, bags of Cheetos and Funyuns into her arms until half the pile tumbled onto the floor and she had to pick them all up. She turned around and gave me a fright when I saw her face. A Max Factor pallid complexion with sexy corpse makeup. You know what I'm talking about. The thick, overdrawn black eyeliner that emphasizes the reptilian, slit-lidded expression that they all wear on their face. Goblins never look at anything. They side-leer at it without ever fully opening their eyes. I expected a nictitating membrane to flicker over her eyeball. Two days ago, a lesbian goblin family was seated next to me at a restaurant. The mothers were at least, each of them, 350 pounds. They could have been anywhere from 22 to 35 or 40. Once a face is that fat, all lines and signs of true age disappear. One of them had Harry Potter tattoos on her neck. Both of them had half-shaved heads and piercings in all the parts of the face and neck that look most painful and least attractive. I could hear them snuffling as they tried to breathe. Do not think I insult. I am not joking, and I am not insult insulting. I'm not poking fun at fat people for the sake of poking fun at fat people. I'm telling you that they are so fat, they have difficulty breathing when they are seated. Mm -hmm. And their poor daughters under 10 years old at that table were already busting the seams of their cheap and tacky age-inappropriate clothes, prostitute clothes. Goblin mothers want to make sure that their children look just like them. A goblin passed me in the hall on the way to an appointment the other day. Enormously overweight, as usual, but this time in the service of trying to obscure the fact that she was not the man that she was clearly visually trying to claim that she was. Male pattern baldness on a woman who looked barely 25 years old. Wallet on a chain, flannel shirt, grungy jeans, sole patch, and peach fuzz on her face. She only passed at a distance because of her excessive weight that obscured the female skeleton and silhouette inside. And all of them have dead eyes. There are two main types of goblin where I live in Burlington, Vermont. Trailer park prostitute or trans man. They're either slathered in whore makeup and wearing clothes designed to ensure the slipping out of their breasts, buttocks, and rolls, or they're trans men. Last week, a goblin was trying, to, trying and failing to open the business suite bathroom down the hall from the studio. From a distance, I assumed it was a young woman who was uh, hanging out with the partiers who rent the suite down the hall. Mais non, this was a man. A man. Yeah. She stood four foot ten inches. 
maybe 85 pounds. Extremely narrow shoulders and a bird-like torso. Delicate. Elfin. Obvious wide female hips. She was wearing a wife beater and jeans, making sure to feature visually the straggly, manly armpit hair. And she had a voice an octave lower than my baritone. A slow, vibrating rubber band inside of a tin can. That's what it sounds like. Young women are in a very bad way where I live. They seem to believe they have only two choices in life, whore goblin or trans goblin. Being a normal human is not on the menu. Ten years ago, I would have seen the occasional goblin and said to myself internally, geez, I really hope she gets help. Today, I feel nothing sympathetic. I feel sickened. My skin crawls. My anxiety ramps up and all I can think is get away as fast as you can. Don't look at her. Pretend you didn't see her walk out of the store. Because they are everywhere where I live. And they think people like me are the problem. Normal people. Normal people are the sick ones. Normal people are doing them harm. They live in a world of total conceptual inversion. For someone who has experienced as many mental illnesses as I have, you'd think I'd be more compassionate, wouldn't you? You'd be wrong, but not for the reasons that you might think. I didn't get better mentally and then pull the ladder up behind me, as the left accuses people like me of doing. I got better mentally, and then I turned around and noticed that no one was following me up that ladder on the lower rungs. There was no point in leaving the ladder for the next person and no point in holding out a boosting hand because no one wants it now. No one wants to take it unless it's to chase the normie up to the top and push him off. The goblins are a form of psychological pollution. They make me and every somewhat sane person around them a little bit sicker every day. I resent them. I don't care about their problems, not anymore. That's gone. I want them out of my face. I want them off the streets. I want them out of the schools. I want them out of the libraries. I want their children taken away from them. They wear their mental sickness on the outside and they practically taunt passersby with it. No, not practically. That is what they're doing. They are taunting normal people. Why else do you think they present themselves this way? Do you think they're dressing for themselves the way they claim? No person on earth ever, under any circumstances, chooses their look for themselves. That's not true. Never has been true. Never will be true. Clothes, makeup, and body carriage are advertising signals. They are for us, the audience. Well, I don't want what they're selling. I don't want to see their eating disorder, their borderline instability, their lust, or their low narcissistic cunning any more than I want to see any other flasher. And that's what they are. These women are the female equivalent of the creep on the bus who opens his trench coat at the girl across the way and smirks. They just use their psychiatric disease instead of their genitals to do their flashing. For now. I don't think it'll be very long until it's full vagine on display in reverse underwear that has cutouts where privacy panels used to be. No, I'm not exaggerating. That's what I think will actually happen. If you don't live in a blue city or a blue state, 
you may be tempted to think that I exaggerate. Some of you probably won't believe what I'm recounting. I've already noticed that from the comments on my piece. A few people just simply don't believe it. They think I'm making it up. You'll think I'm padding the numbers for drama. Because you don't actually believe that this is the world we live in. Because you don't want to believe it. If you believed it, you'd have to acknowledge some things that you really don't want to acknowledge. Those things would upset the moral and intellectual apple cart that you've relied on for your entire life. Well, this is what it's like in blue America today. This is new normal. It's a psychiatric freak show that you are not allowed to notice. It's a psychiatric freak show. You, today, you're the normal attractive girl in that Twilight Zone episode, surrounded by people with pig faces calling you an ugly monster and getting ready to hold you down and fix it. You're in the upside down. This is the real pandemic. How long until these people call for the needle? For you, for me, and for everyone. Good night.